0: My babies forgot What's going on, man? What is going on? Somebody keep
1: the wall with a
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, ma'am, there with ma'am. <coughs> Is there anybody in the house without
0: start you
1: and your children? Darlie Routier, A Mother's Betrayal, When Harry Met Sally. The last episode, we explored the gruesome case of a mother on death row. The murders of her two children. This episode, will explore the beginning to the end of this tragedy at 5801 Eagle Drive.
2: To try to understand Darley Root here, we have to go back to the beginning. A person grows up and depending on their environment, they learn to adapt to the situations around them. This brings up the old saying, nurture first nature.
0: We have a garden. And I absolutely love to do the work in the garden. It's wonderful to see the things that you plant grow, uh, to nurture something. Really?
2: Nature refers to how genetics influence an individual's personality, whereas nurture refers to how their environment, including relationships and experiences, impacts their development. Was it in Darlie's nature to act in the way that she did the night of the murders? Or was it the way that she was nurtured over the years?
1: They didn't know her.
2: She was not selfish.
1: She was not a self-centered person. She was very
2: giving, very loving.
1: Darlie Routier was born Darlie Lynn Peck on January 4, 1970, to her parents, Larry Peck and Darlie Key. She was initially born in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Her parents divorced when she was only seven years old, and a year later, her mother remarried Dennis Dahl. When Darley was a teenager, along with her parents, her two stepsisters, and her two sisters, they relocated
2: to Lubbock, Texas. While there isn't a whole lot of information on Darley's childhood, besides a few tidbits in official court transcripts. According to her family, she was doted on as a child. Her first encounter with the harshness of life occurred at seven years old when her parents divorced and the domestic security she knew tilted. It was a difficult transition for the family
1: of six, but Darley and her sisters and stepsisters remained close And managed to stick together Their parents began to fight And the fighting got worse Even sometimes turning violent The Stalls' marriage did crumble And once again Darlie's life went through another upheaval She was once again in a fatherless home And her mother was in search of her next husband It was during this time That Darley was starting to gain attention From the opposite sex
0: She had frosted hair, cherry lipstick, painted fingernails.
1: As she
2: truly started to blossom with her looks. Darley testified in court under oath that she never told anyone about her stepfather, Robbie Jean Key, had sexually molested her when she was just eight years old. But neither the prosecutor nor the defense team got into any detail about the alleged abuse. Darley said the police were never called and that she continued to see her stepfather even when her parents were divorced. She even went so far as to let her children go with the stepdad and her sister on Mother's Day, alone for half the day. The prosecutor questioned Darley about why she would let an alleged molester be alone with her kids, but there was no direct answer on why.
0: I'm being judged by people that did not know me. Speak to the people that did know me.
2: Her mother got a job
1: at the Western Sizzlin' Restaurant, where Darlie, then 15, met Darren Routier, who was 17.
0: I was working, and Darren was like an assistant manager. And he said that he heard that I had a beautiful daughter. And I said, I do have a beautiful daughter. (laughs) She walked in the room, and I was just, you me. people would fall over themselves when they saw her, and she never realized that she never knew it.
1: Darlie's mother thought the pair would make a great item, and decided to set them up together. Darlie's mother found Darren to be bright, good-looking, and ambitious. It was love at first sight for Darlie and Darren, and things steamed up quickly between the two.
2: The duo went on their very first date the night they met, and they were inseparable from that day forward.
0: They really has. They just kind of love at first sight.
2: Both Darren and Darley's parents approved of the couple dating and had high hopes that the two would start a life. In my opinion, this was strange, because Darren was already in a serious relationship with a woman named Cindy Black. Remember that name she will come up again years later. The pair continued to date
1: in high school, even after Darren graduated and enrolled into a technical college in Dallas. Darlie did have a jealous and possessive streak back then. She craved attention and did not like it when Darren's attention was not on her. She even left a party one night because she wasn't the center of attention and came back rushing in frantically
2: that she was almost raped by two men, allegedly. After graduating high school, Darlie joined Darren in Dallas. She even got hired at the same technical company that Darren was working for. They decided to live together to save money. The couple decided to get married in August 1988. They had their honeymoon in Jamaica, first-class style. Darren
1: and Darley were living together already, so the parents knew the next step was to have a wedding. Now, Darley found a designer wedding dress originally priced at $1,695, but she purchased it for $200 on a four-hour only sale. Darren's parents decorated their sunroom and held the private ceremony to wed the pair. And from there, they went on that expensive honeymoon
2: first class
1: to Jamaica.
2: After getting married...
1: And Darren started his own electronics company. When I got off of work, we would sit down on the couch and just start making parts. So Tesnick was born. Tesnick
0: was the company that, that made circuit boards. And pretty quickly, Darren and
2: Darley made pretty good money from that business. Darley worked for the business and managed the books. It was then 1992 and his company started to become quite successful rather quickly. The pair built a home in Del Rock Heights edition. They spent $130,000 on a new home in
1: Rowlett. Darren bought a used Jaguar. He bought a 30 foot cabin cruiser to cruise on the nearby Lake Ray Hubbard. He was loving his life.
2: And started to immediately splurge on renovations, including a personal spa, and a sauna room. The $130,000 beautiful home was a mini mansion model that looked like it belonged in a magazine. The ideal mini mansion wouldn't be complete without a 37-foot cabin cruiser boat and a classy, shiny 1982 Jaguar that was parked in front of the couple's home in the driveway. No one talks about
1: how Darren really obtained the money to get the couple started in life.
2: Make me look
1: like I may have done something wrong, may have done something illegal. And that was, of course, moonlighting in the sale of narcotics. Before he knew it, he also began to use them. The person Darren was supposedly involved in with these illegal transactions was no one other than Officer Jimmy Patterson's son who had a criminal
2: background. About a year after they married, they welcomed their first child, Devin. Wow, way to go Devin! I believe she got pregnant on her honeymoon because she had Devin right about nine months later. (laughs) Two years later, they welcomed another son, Damon.
1: Say hi, Damon! Hi!
2: Followed by their only surviving child, Drake. The Rotiers were living their best life and gave off that picture of a perfect family portrait. The couple was most definitely living beyond their means, especially Darlie, who was now so fixated on materialistic and tangible items. This is a hang off. Isn't it wonderful? She continued to spend big money on jewelry, clothes, and even got double-E breast implants, to copy that image of the perfect girl living in the perfect world. She purchased revealing clothes to gain the attention of onlookers. I don't think she was as doting as people said she was. I don't. She's not so much doting on her kids as she's doting on herself. Who goes out and spends $2,000 on a breasts? That was one of the things that really caught our attention to the outside world the couple was enjoying their success but behind closed doors their bank account said otherwise. To keep up the persona and the lavish parties they were
1: throwing they would also bake baked goods for all the children in the neighborhood. Popsicles and goodies for them. She was just a real
2: fun loving caring person.
0: What a kids, I can't wait She's
1: just fun. Yeah, she's to be around. They even helped one of their neighbors out who couldn't work due to cancer and paid their mortgage so that they wouldn't lose their home. Talk
2: about being generous. Things begin to take a turn for the worse for the rotiers, and surely what goes up must come down. Business for Darren started to slow down tremendously, and the funds were not rolling in like they had in the past. This caused a train reaction, with the couple's once lavish lifestyle trickling down to going almost broke. Their relationship, just like her parents, took a turn towards violence. Darley liked to go out dancing and would dance with anybody who showed her attention. It was during a Christmas party when a showdown between Darley and Darren right in front of party goers began. Darren was upset with Darley, who had been dancing with the same man all night. Things started to turn violent, much to the dismay of the crowd. That's when rumors of extramarital affairs from
1: both sides began swirling around
0: town. And whether or not that had anything to do with this or not. To know that that had been plotted behind my
1: back. Hurt. Hurt. This was right around the time after Darlie had born a third son. She gained weight and had trouble getting the weight off. She turned to measures such as diet pills and increased spending. It was now 1995 and Technic started financially declining. Darlie ignored warning signs to cut costs and to decrease spending but she continued. Those who knew Darlie started to see a whole nother side of her than before. She became less interested in spending time with her children. Her neighbors often complained that she would leave them unsupervised.
0: What we got was a woman who was really inattentive to her two children. Children who would stay out uh, till late at night. Children who were allowed to ride around freely in traffic on the streets. I think it probably gave credence to our belief that she was very self-centered, very selfish, and very self-absorbed.
1: And when she was around them, she would become increasingly impatient with them. Now, Darlie became more combative, argumentative, and would have fits of rage. She summoned it up to having postpartum depression. The fights between Darlie and Darren continued. In moments of being upset, he would play on her not being able to lose any weight and that it would take a toll on her.
0: I felt betrayed. Here's the person that I had been with since high school, that I had three children with, and a good marriage, so I thought.
2: Darley's fits of rage were witnessed in June of 1994 at Devin's fifth birthday party. Happy birthday.
0: Day two.
2: Day two. among the guests was elaine schwarmer Eileen lived two streets over and would have day dates with her and the routiers elaine testified at trial that she and the other party guests were all enjoying themselves at the party it was a community picnic style birthday party with just pinatas to bus some water balloons water guns and lots of food a water fight broke out, and the children and adults began to spray one another. Everyone was pretty wet from all the water, and Darlie even mentioned for everyone to stop. stop it! Someone sneaked in a squirt, and then someone else, and the water fight picked right back up. Devin sprayed Darley and she got really mad about it. She immediately grabbed a piece of birthday cake off the table and shoved it right into his face. When asked by the prosecutors to describe specifically how Darley did that, Eileen stated and was quoted, Darley had grabbed his head and reached for the plate off the table and shoved the two together and said that he deserved it. Now, Darren testified
1: on the stand his version of that incident. He said that Devin was squirting everyone with a water gun from the party. A big one, one that holds a half a gallon but that he didn't want anyone squirting him. Darley cautioned him about squirting her or the cake, and he went ahead and did it anyway. She grabbed a little piece of icing and smeared it across his face. He stated that everyone thought that was pretty funny.
2: Now, who do you believe? Darley would randomly write in a journal. There would be many times that she wrote daily, and then there would be times there would be a long absence. On May third, 1996, she became extremely suicidal and wrote in her diary, Devin, Damon and Drake, I hope you will forgive me for what I am about to do. My life has been such a hard fight for a long time, and I just can't find the strength to keep fighting anymore. I love you three more than anything else in this world, and I want all three of you to be healthy and happy, and I don't want you to see a miserable person every time you look at me. I. It ended at I.
1: Now, there are several different accounts when it comes to Darlie and her journal entries about her potential suicide attempt. Darren testified that Darley had called him between 2 p.m. and 2.30 p.m. on May 3, 1996, stating that she was having a hard time with the kids and that he needed to come home. Darren stated that he told Darley that he was extremely busy and that he would see her later. Darley then stated to him, you'll see me. When she said that, he felt like he needed to go home, so off he went. Darren said that when he came home, Darley was laying on the bed, baby Drake was in his crib, and Darley was crying and writing in her journal. He asked her what was wrong and that she needed to spend more time with the kids and that she didn't want him to be a workaholic like how his father was. The prosecution asked Darren if Darley had any sleeping pills, and Darren did confirm that she did, but he didn't think she was serious enough to commit suicide.
2: And he felt like if it was serious, he would have gotten her help. Now, when Barbara Jovell, a longtime friend of Darley and Darren, and employee of TESNIC, testified about the suicide and the journal, her recount was much different. Barbara testified that Darley told her that she had pills and that they were actually out of the wrapper and was going to actually take them while crying, writing in her journal when Darren walked in. She didn't want him to know about the pills, so she hid them under the bed. The couple's dog, Domaine, grabbed the wrappers with the pills, and that's how Darren found out. Darlie told Barbara at one point of the conversation that sometimes she just wanted to end it all. Barbara then stated that Darlie was supposed to take the children to Lubac after talking with Darren about getting help. Now, Darlie
1: testified that she was in the middle of writing in her journal when she called Darren to come home, which he did shortly after. She stated that when he came into the room, The baby was asleep in the crib and now Damon was watching TV and Devin was nowhere to be found and Darlie was just laying across the bed crying. She had her journal on the bed but it was closed. Darren asked her what was wrong and she told him that she didn't like the way she was feeling the past couple days and she didn't like crying and that she didn't understand why she was feeling the way she was feeling. She then testified that she told Darren, she wrote in her journal, and then he started crying, which made her cry again, and they both cried together
2: for a couple of minutes. There were several psychiatric doctors that testified for both the prosecution and defense team, who were called to give their expert opinions about Darley. Among those professionals was Dr. Richard Coons, a medical doctor, as well as a board certified psychiatrist. His job is to evaluate people that are charged with crimes to determine whether they are competent to stand trial and whether they were sane at the time of the crime. Dr. Koons was asked on the stand to give his knowledge on memory and how it relates to the forensic field. He stated that memory is made up of data and that the actual data can come from you either dreaming it up yourself, someone can suggest it to you, Or it could be an actual memory, or a distorted memory, of what actually happens when faced in a traumatic experience.
0: You know, I didn't sleep through that. I mean, how would anybody sleep through?
2: But yet you say you don't remember.
0: But I don't remember. Can you imagine waking up out of your sleep with a man attacking you? Well, what do you think happened then if you can't remember but you don't think you slept through it? I think that... uh...
2: It can also cause disassociation and temporary amnesia.
0: Come on. I miss me so much. I swear, I did not murder my children. I swear.
2: If this doesn't fit, Darlie, then I don't know what does. Because in her interviews, she kept saying repeatedly, "If I did it, I don't remember." So just think about it. If she was so angry at Darren that night, and she stabbed her kids, and from there she was so shocked at what she did, it's possible that her body would naturally go into shock and have traumatic amnesia. Dr. Koons did refer and mention filicide, and that Dr. Philip Resnick published research on filicide in 1969, and stated that there were five main motives for filicide, including altruistic... Fatal maltreatment, unwanted child, acutely psychotic, and spousal revenge.
1: Dr. Lisa Clayton, a physician and forensic psychiatrist, spent many, many hours with Darley, her family, and listened to the 911 tapes and read the journal entries. She believed that Darley didn't fit any of the categories of mothers killing their children.
0: I've never had a mental illness. You don't just snap and become crazy and then snap back and you're normal. That's not even plausible.
1: And didn't believe that while writing in her journal, it was not a direct attempt at killing herself, but that it was a suicide letter, meaning that when she said suicidal, she meant to go to sleep and never wake up. Basically, Dr. Clayton doesn't consider that a suicidal verse of someone who had it would have been planned. Dr. Clayton was quoted saying, They are for sure going to act on it, but us medical professionals call it suicidal ideation. It was a cry for attention and help from her husband because she didn't complete the note. Now it says that it's more of someone saying that I want you to realize how bad I'm feeling and I want you to help. Here it is, a defense witness clearly stating that this was another
2: cry for attention. A month later, all hell would break loose in the wee early morning hours at 5801 Eagle Drive and things for the road to your family would never be the same. Now, this is Killer Lashes with Tati and Asha.
1: Stay tuned to next week's episode. But before we leave, we want to
2: know, was Darlie really just a true gold digger? Or was she really going through postpartum when spending the family money? Now, was she on more than just diet pills due to her erratic behavior? Was Darlie's wolf rape story back in college a peak of more lies to come?
1: And was Darren finding diary entries just another staged attempt at attention, like how the prosecutor said the crime scene was? All we want to know is, what would drive a mother to kill her own children? Until then, Killer Lashes signing off.
0: Well, I had this one dream, and this is very personal for me. I've only shared this with my mom and my pastor. and It's a very, very personal dream that I want to share it because it's very, um, it's very amazing. After not too long, I was still at the county and I hadn't been convicted yet. And I had a dream that I was at my grandparents' house. And I was sitting, I came into the house and Devin and Damon were both in there. And I didn't understand the dream at the time, the significance of Devin and Damon didn't have clothes on, but they were perfect. Their skin was perfect, their hair, everything, they just, they looked perfect. And um, when I went into the living room, I sat down in a chair and Damon came and sat in my lap. And in my grandparents' house, there's a big, huge window right in front of that chair. And I started talking to Damon and I remember, I was looking at him and he looked so perfect. He just was just glowing. He was just, and he was smiling and I said, I remember saying, you know, baby, I miss you. And he didn't say nothing he just kept smiling at me and i said i kind of got sad for a minute and i said you know why did you have to leave me and he just kept smiling at me and then i just you know i just was taking in beauty and i said are you with jesus and he just smiled so big and um He just kept just smiling. He never said anything, but he just kept smiling so big. And that moment, it was just a minute after I had asked him if he was with Jesus. This bright white light that was so bright, I couldn't even, it was like a blinding light, filled that whole room, that whole window that was right there in front of the chair, filled the whole room. I woke up instantly. I felt like that was God's way of giving me a comfort to know that they are with him.